Okay, Berochim Abayim, welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simcha. We are in class number 95. Last week, we spoke about the possibility, thank you, of someone being able to change their character. And we went to explain exactly what that question means. Like we said last week, we weren't talking about changing our actions. That's obvious that we can. And we said it's not about changing the way we speak. That's also obvious. And it's not about the way we even think. That's also obvious. But we're talking about the way we are, our character. Like, when someone does something, it bothers us. Is it possible not to be bothered? Is it possible not to be angry? Is it possible not to feel certain reactions in certain situations? It's our character. It's who we are. Can a person change their character? So we said last week that not only is it possible... But it's something that would be considered a mitzvah. And not just a mitzvah, but possibly a mitzvah gedola. A very big mitzvah. Like, such a big mitzvah that it can push away other mitzvot that are standing in its way like we said last week. Today we're going to open up with something very surprising. If we didn't see this in a book, we would say... A, that it's wrong, we would say maybe it's even forbidden to say it. But it says it, and therefore must be that we must be off, that's all. There's a pasuk in Mishle that says like this. Ha-hazek b'musar, says Shalomu HaMelech, you should hold on to Musar. I guess it's something that could slip away from you. You have to hold on to it. Sometimes a person can get excited, but it slips. They're about to change. They're about to do, and then things go the wrong way. Says Shalomu Musar. Hold on to the Musar that you learn. Musar basically is that you learn something or you're doing something to tie down your nature. Al-Teref, don't let go. Again, that means there's going to be times in life where you just want to let go. I'm not in the mood. I don't want to work on it. I'm tired. I got excited in the class, but that's it. I'm done. Says Shalom Musar. hold on to it. Don't let go. Nitzreha, guard it. And here's the main words for today. Kihi hayecha. Why am I telling you to hold on to it? Why am I telling you not to let go? Why am I telling you to guard it? What is this item? That you have to hold on to it, don't let go and guard it. What's so important about this musar? 
Says Shilamo Amelech, three words, three words that you would never imagine would be said. He says, you know why? You know why I'm pushing you so hard? On fixing your character? On changing who you are? Why am I pushing you so hard? Do you remember pushing, me, pushing you hard like this and other things? He says, I'll tell you why. Because this is your life. Now, I'm not sure what that means. This is your life. And I'm not going to guess. I'm going to turn it over to one of the greatest Jews that ever lived. His name was the Gaon Rabbi Eliyahu Mevilna. The Gaon Mevilna. Undisputed, one of the greatest humans and Jews that ever lived on this planet. He has a perush on Mishle. He writes this in other places as well. Listen to these words. I have to read them in Hebrew. There's no other way to appreciate what he says. He says, Kima Adam Hai. He says, This that you were created, this that you're alive, who Someone asks you, why were you created? What's the purpose of life? Says the Gaon, I'll tell you why. Kede lishbor hamida shelo shavar adhena. You're alive to break the characteristic that you've been failing till now. It's hard for you to be patient. You came into this world to break that. Hard for you to give of yourself. You came into this world to break that. Very hard for you to control your desires. When you want something, you just have to have it. It's hard for you. You're in this world to break your character that you're struggling with. Meaning, besides, you have to refine yourself in general. But the characteristics that you're struggling with the ones that give you a run for your money, and everyone's got their own challenges in different ways, says the Gaon, you know why you're created? To break that characteristic. And therefore, we always have to strengthen ourselves And here goes. And if a person says, you know what, I'm not working in my character, I got other things to do. Other things like learning Torah, I'm going to do a lot of mitzvot, I'm going to do a lot of kindness. Other things, I don't mean I'm going to go and do nothing in my life. I got other good things to do in my life. Says the Gaon, if a person doesn't work and fix their flaws, their character flaws? Three words. Lama lo hayim. So you have no purpose in life. You don't have to live. For what are you living? Lama lo hayim. For what reason are you on this planet 
if you're not fixing your character flaw. I never would have imagined such words. If someone would have asked me, what's the purpose of my life? Why was I created? Uh, learning Torah? You tell me I learned Torah day and night? Lama li hayim? You tell me why am I living? What's the purpose of my life? I'm learning. What do you mean? I learn all day. Ki hem hayenu Torah is our life. We say that in our prayers. Says the Gaon, you don't need that life. Lama lo hayim. For what reason you have to live to learn Torah? I never thought I would read those words. I'm helping so many people. What do you mean? I'm a mother. I have children. I'm a wife. I'm a grandmother. I give money. I do mitzvot. I separate halal. What are you talking about? Lama li hayim? You talking to me? Who is he talking to? He's not talking to the garbage man in the street. Not the garbage man, God forbid, the sanitation. A garbage man in, in the way they live their life. He's not talking about that person. He's talking to a person who's doing a lot of good things. He could tell you their day is full with beautiful things. Like I'm sure everybody in this room can be very proud of many things that they do daily that would be considered great. And says the Gaon, if you're not fixing your character flaws, it's not worth living your life. I have to be honest. I don't fully understand what he's saying. It's hard to believe, you think. It's hard to believe that all that I do and that you do, he's not saying those things don't matter. But he's saying it's not why you're here. And if it's the main purpose of why you're here and not doing it, then you're wasting your time. Hard to believe that so much of what we do doesn't match up to this one area in life. They never taught us that in school. They never told us, by the way, if you're not fixing your, your character flaws, you're wasting your time in this world. But that's what it says. This is your life. That's where the Gaon got it from. Lama lo hayim. And if you're shocked by it, but, and you should be, I hope you're shocked by it. If you tell me I'm not shocked by it, there's something wrong. Because our whole lives we're hearing Torah, mitzvot, tzedakah, chesed, tzniyut, chinuch. And God forbid, I'm not saying those aren't awesome things. But we never dreamed of someone saying something like this. That all of that, and you're not fixing your character flaws, something is not adding up. So I hope you're surprised by this comment. 
And just to make you feel good, if you're surprised, one of the great Jews of the last hundred years, his name was Rav Shach, very holy Jew, he writes in his book, commenting on this pasuk and this gra. He says, Kemdumeli, he says, it seems to me, Shehidush Zeshela Gaon Bokeya Rekain. He says, this Haidush, it says, it breaks through the sky, through the heavens. Fehu Haidush, he says, he's not disagreeing with him. He's just saying, it's such a Haidush, meaning it's such a shocker. She'ad Hayom, he writes in his book, that until today, so I'm not sure when he wrote the book. Ad hayom lo amadti al havanato I didn't really fully understand it. And he finished off and he says, Kama rehokim anu How distant and far we are from understanding the true value of our existence. How far we are from realizing that our character flaws is the purpose why we were created. You know, usually in life, all of us have some good things, some good character things, and some not so good things. And usually we treat it like a business. You know, you have items that sell good, you buy more of them. And the stuff doesn't sell, like you just like discount it. You write it off, it's a write-off. That's what we do with Amidot also. Like, oh yeah, we're, we're awesome in this. We're awesome in that. We're great in that. Oh, those five things? Those two things? Yeah, okay. We're nervous wrecks. What can I tell you? That's who I am. But that's not who I am. It's not who I am. I'm not that. I know I get angry all the time. That's, that's not who I am. I know I get jealous. I know I'm, I know. I know I'm selfish. We write it off as if, okay, that's, we have a majority, we're good. This comes and says, no, no, no. Those things are why you were created. Specifically the ones that you're struggling with. That's why it says, Adam le'amal yulad. This is a person was born to toil. The great Rabbi Rafinkel from Slavatka says beautifully, why didn't it say Adam le'torah yulad? That a person was born for Torah. You see, because amal is something different than Torah. It's amal, it toil in midot, in character. In this struggle of mine, and I hope yours, to understand such words of Shlomo HaMelech and the Gaon Vilna. I tried to see where we could find this in the Torah. Something like this has to be somewhere in the Torah. This couldn't have started with Shlomo HaMelech. It's too big for that. You know, there's certain things they could say, okay, I heard, of him, I heard of him, this rabbi. But something like this, the whole purpose of life and your existence and my existence and everybody's existence, that cannot be something that Shlomo HaMelech came up with. Maybe he said it clearly. The Gaon Mevilna couldn't have made this up. Where in the Torah 
is there such a principle? So last week we saw in the Torah how it was a mitzvah for a person to change their character. That we, what we saw already. But that it's such a big item that it's the purpose of my creation where I had a great life, I did so many great things, but if I failed in those areas, I failed life? Where does it say that? So I think there's a great source. We go back to Parashat Hayesara, talks about the famous story of Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, on a mission to find a bride for Yitzhak Avinu. Something very odd about Parashat Hayesara is that the story with Abraham and Eliezer, how he appointed him, how he sent him, how Eliezer went, how many people he took with him, how many camels were there, where did he go, that he prayed. What did he say in his prayer? What transpired by the well? Play by play to the detail. Pages of Torah. And then he goes to the parents. And again, he tells them the story. And the Torah writes the whole story again. The story we already know because we already we live the story. We don't need the story. Maybe they need the story. But we already were told the story. The Torah writes it again. Exactly what he said. What he encountered. Pages of Torah on really a very simple story. Abraham sent Eliezer to find the bride. He came home with Rivka. That's really the end all of the story. But so many details in exactly how it happened. This type of Real estate in the Torah is very expensive. You think buildings are expensive? You think homes on Fifth Avenue are expensive or on Ocean Parkway expensive? There's no greater real estate than if you're given some time or some words in the Torah. If the Torah has room for you somewhere and wrote about you, even one word, it's a beauty. That's real estate. That's forever. That's eternal. Torah doesn't give a lot of words, a lot of subjects, a lot of time, or a lot of space. And this story with Eliezer is pages long, even repetitious. So much real estate is given to this story, which is the cause of what Hazal tell us when they saw this, listen to these words. Yafa sihatan shel avde avot. Which means that the words, the conversations of the slave of the avot is more beautiful to Hashem means he gave it more real estate. You know, if I come to your house, I'm sure I would see a lot of pictures. So hopefully the pictures of the people there are the people that really mean a lot to you. And probably you'll see multiple pictures of people who really mean a lot to you. 
People don't mean that much. Maybe you'll see one on the side of the corner. Says the Midrash, I, don't, I have a problem. Hilchot Shabbat, 39 melachot, each one avot and toldot, thousands of details, endless books, books like thousands of pages on Hilchot Shabbat. All of that is lo ta'aseh melacha. Don't do melacha. That's it. Give me all the details. No, that's in the oral Torah. The, the real estate in the Torah is too precious. We don't give it for uh, Hilchot Shabbat. You got to go look for it in the oral Torah. Halachot like Shehita. In one word, there's, there's chapters and chapters about the laws of how to be a Shohet. Not in the Torah. It's a word here and there. So the Hachamim are saying, I don't get it. Shabbat gets a line. Eliezer's story gets two pages? How did that happen? What was so special about that story that Hashem says, in my Torah, I'm giving that two pages? Says the Midrash, I'm going to tell you why. Because it's more precious to Hashem, just like when you go to someone's house and you see the pictures again and again of the same person, and then only one picture of someone, you know who's more precious to them. It's more precious to the creator of the world, the conversation of Eliezer, who is the servant of Abraham, than the Torah of the children which means our Torah, our mitzvot. What does that mean? Here. Not only he wrote the story, it doubled it. He wrote it twice. So many laws of Torah. Hashem gives it to us through a hint. And why is the conversation of Eliezer so precious okay we got it now whatever happened in that story is so precious it got not normal amount of attention Hashem says I love that I mean I love Shabbat too but I really love that why what's so special about it what's special about that story is that we are given a window into a man who is working very hard on his midot. We see a man who is very hashuv. Eliezer is a very hashuv person. Do not think Eliezer is a simple person. Let me tell you how hashuv he is. When Abraham spoke about him in front of Hashem. He calls him Ben Meshek Beti. I mean, he's the guy in my home who draws from me. And he's his top student. Hazal tell us this in Masechet Nedarim. The Gemara says that Abraham Avinu taught a lot of people. He had 318 top students. 
a lot. 318 top students. And Eliezer, says the Gemara, is keneget kulam. Which means you put 318 of his top students on one side of the scale. And Eliezer is keneget kulam. He weighs in his greatness 318 to 1. That's how great Eliezer is. Eliezer is not a simple man. It says not only was he great in wisdom, he was a very trusted person. Abraham, when he spoke about him, it says, Zekan Beto. He was the elder of Abraham's home, which means that people would come to him for advice. An elder, someone that has wisdom. Which means, when Abraham wants to write a check, he writes it. He had total authority over the empire of Abraham Avinu. His financial empire, his yeshiva, his ches, everything. Uh, who was Moshe? Who was the one in charge? He was the one. You have to imagine in life that you reach this plateau of tremendous success spiritually and in many other ways. And if you look in the parasha, you'll see a man that makes, when you read it, you think the guy is a, is a, is a, is a zero. Let me, let me just read you a few times and see if you get the system. By the way, not once is his name mentioned in the whole story, these two pages. He is mentioned a lot, but every time with the same description. The servant, the slave. The whole story is all about a man who's an Eved. And every time he talks about his, his master, Adoni. When he prays to Hashem, he says, Elohe Adoni Avraham, my master. When he introduces himself to this new family of Betuel, what does he say? What do you say when you introduce yourself to somebody? You give your name, your first name, your last name. This is who I am. This is my family. Vayomer. Eved Avraham Anochi. I am the slave of Abraham. You know how hard that is for a person to completely nullify themselves? We can't even do it to our fathers. Forget our master. You see children looking to outdo their own parents. Oh, by the way, he's my father. Who are you? How many times you ask them who they are and they say, I'm the son of. I'm the daughter of. That's tremendous kavod for your father and mother. That's who you are. No, no, I'm not Yaakov. I'm the daughter of, the son of. We have a hard time doing that. that. It would seem to us like if we say that, like we're not so, we're not hal so much. Aren't we somebody? I'm only the daughter of? I'm only the wife of? Who are you? I'm the wife of this person. Come on. 
Here's a man who made it to the top of society. But he was capable of keeping his humility. And he was ne'eman, he was honest to his job. He was a person that was reliable. His whole mission, he never veered in selling himself, especially to new people that, ne- that don't know him. He could have spoken more about who he is. But that's not what he's doing there. Ayaved Avraham Anochi. That's one clear thing you see in that parasha. A man who again and again is pushing himself to work on his character. That I am the servant of Abraham. But that's just a little bit. Let me just tell you the real story. There's a few problems when you read that story. Number one, we see that Eliezer, when he got to the well, he started to pray. He's praying, Hashem, please, should be Matzliach, my master. I should find someone for him. I ask you a question. It's not your mission, Eliezer. It's Abraham's mission. You're the shaliyah. You're the messenger. Abraham's greater than you. His prayers are more powerful than yours. You don't need to pray for Abraham. You go do your job. What is he praying for? Why does he feel the need to pray when he knows there's a giant man at home praying for his son? What's your prayers going to do? Second, we find something very shocking. When he goes... And he finds Rivka. Now remember, there was very clear instruction that the girl that he would love and say, this is the perfect girl, she has the right hesed, the right midot, she still has to be from the family that Abraham wants. Look what happened. When he said to her, Give me to drink, and she passed the test, and she gave the camels. The pasuk says that when the camels finished drinking, ha'ish nezem zahav, he took a ring, he took bracelets, bangles, heavy gold bangles, and he gave it to her. Vayomer. And after he gave it to her, he says, Bat mi'at, whose daughter are you? Hagidinalit, please tell me. Wait, 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 hold on. If she would come from a different family, he just lost his bangles. I mean, he's a rich man, it's not his money. And it wasn't like a big difference. Literally, imagine he gave her the jewelry and says, by the way, which family do you come from? Hello, Eliezer, you're a smart man. You don't do that. First ask where she comes from. And if it's the right family, then start spoiling her. Why would you take a chance to give her the gold before you ask the question? You're going to ask right now. Very silly what Eliezer did. Number three, something shocking. He gets to their house. They bring him into the house. They open the home for him. He comes in 
and they put food on the table. Nice. Imagine someone comes to your home from a far place. He's a stranger. He comes in. You put dinner out. Beautiful. He's invited. They took food and they served it on his plate. Very nice. Vayomer. Imagine in the middle of this, this, this dinner, he says, Lo ochal, I will not eat. Ad ash ad im dibarti devarai. I must first talk. I cannot eat. Hello, relax. Imagine some, a guest comes to your house and you hear you're slaving over the guy. You're working hours. Finally, the food is burning hot. It's perfect. It's ready. You put it on their plate. I'm sorry, I can't eat now. I first have to talk to you. Like a little, not nice. A little bit. You say, like, relax. Take it easy. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I know I have to talk now. You look like a little, also, like, not, not the right word is? A little majnum. Like, I have to talk right now. I, I, you can talk after you eat. Just put it in your mouth. Eat, and then we can talk. Imagine you're going for dinner with someone and someone does that to you. I'm sorry, I can't eat until I talk to you. We're here to talk. Well, eat. Why would he do that? And it's going to report it like it's a, it was an important item. And the fourth thing is also a little obnoxious. When they agreed that she should... Now imagine, they woke up that morning, the young girl a beautiful young girl in the house. She goes to the well and comes back and now she's accepting to be married to a stranger from a far town and she's going to go there and live with him. Could you imagine? All in 12 hours. How long it takes for a mother to like let go of her daughter? I don't know, 5 years, 10 years. They're, still, they're married and they still can't let go. They had 12 hours in the morning, they had a little girl who's theirs. By the evening, she already was being shipped out, out of town. They're probably never going to see her again. That's, a, that's like, that's a lot. That's a lot. You know, in life, sometimes, you, 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 even if you're going to do something, you got to like slow down. Don't, don't shock people. Slow. So, look what they asked for. Her brother and Lavan and her mother. They make a request. They already agreed. Done. We agreed to give you our daughter to marry someone from out of town. And she's going to live there. We agree. He says, could we just have her with us for a few days. And then she can go. What do you think? It's a fair, fair request? Yeah? Just a few days. Not a month, not a year. Yamim o asor. Vayomer alehim. What's his answer? I, I would have said, of course. Are you kidding? I would say, my good midot would tell me, of course. He says to them, Al te'aharu'oti, please don't delay me. Vadonai hitzliyah darki, Hashem already gave me hatzlacha, 
Shalehoni, please let me go now. I need to go. What is going on with this man? Four questions. Why does he pray when Abraham's prayer is greater than his? And it's for Abraham, not for him anyway. Why does he give the jewelry before he asks who her family was? Why does he not sit down to eat and then talk? Why do you have to talk first? And why does he not let her stay for a couple of days? What's the problem? The problem is that Eliezer has a problem. And he knows it. Eliezer is a man who's struggling in this whole story. He's struggling in a very big way. He's dealing with a big internal issue. And he doesn't know how to break that struggle. He's the top of Avraham Avinu's ladder. He's the best student. His whole life is his rabbi, Avraham. Hazal tells us he has a daughter. Naturally, he thought. Obviously, his daughter must have been something because he suggested to Abraham, what about my daughter? She obviously was qualified. He wouldn't suggest his daughter if she was off the derech. So here he is, the best student, the man who is the Eved Abraham. He literally, he drinks the water of his rabbi. His whole life, he's serving him. He's learning from him. Most trusted he has his beautiful daughter, perfect for Yitzhak. And when he suggests his daughter for Abraham, Abraham says, I'm sorry. I can't marry into your family. Do you have any idea what that feels like? I mean, that doesn't feel good on any level. But how good does that feel when the man that told you that is your role model, he's your icon, he's the one that your whole life you're trying to emulate, you've done everything for him, you do everything for him, you're trusted, you're, and you're trying to be like him, and anything he says you follow. And he says, I'm sorry, I can't marry into your family. Go somewhere very far. Lavan. Betuel, these people had nothing to do with Abraham. They were not his students. They were not following his ways. These were not great people. Not at least in their religious life. Lavan is not a very big tzaddik. And Abraham says, I want from that family. What? I'm your student. I'm the guy that always is with you. I follow you. That guy never listens to you. You're going to give your daughter to him? What, what, what would you do in that case? How would you feel in that case? He says, no. I think a lot of people would say, I don't know, I feel, I feel cheated. I'm so hurt. I thought like, 
So, and if that's not bad enough, he goes and he tells him, and if you do me a favor, go find this bride for my son. You, you're going to find the bride. I, I, don't, I don't know, I really, I, I try to imagine what it feels like. I don't even know if I can understand how that feels. Seems to be a very impossible task. Here's a man. Again, it's not impossible for him to do it. He could do it. But would he do it with simcha? Would he have any claims on Abraham? Would he feel this negativity? What, what, what would happen to him? Would he maybe say something not appropriate? Would he try to make it not happen? Now you understand when he kept saying Evid Abraham, how powerful that was. He wasn't just saying Evid Abraham on a regular Tuesday. He was hurt as can be. You've been hurt in your life by somebody? I'm sure you've been disappointed and it's usually someone close to you. Who could say they haven't been hurt? And who, when they get hurt, is able just to say, oh, you know, don't worry, I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to be mitgaber. I'm going to get rid of that hurt or that anger or that hatred. This is Eliezer. Not one time does he veer off with a lack of respect. Adoni, my master. I'm his Eved. I'm his servant. And then he knows he's struggling. So he's trying to work on himself. He's trying to fix his character. How does he do it? So first thing he does, he prays. As if it's his own thing. He's praying to get into it. That he should be into it also. He knows Abraham is praying. But he wants to be into it. He wants to make it real, his mission, from the heart, as if he had no daughter. And then when he hears that, when she, he sees that she might be the right girl, he's afraid to ask her for who her family is. Because maybe when she says it's the right family, he may have cold feet. He's struggling. He's a man struggling. What if she says, I come from the family and he just can't handle it? And maybe he'll just run away. He won't do it. You know what he does? He's working. He knows his weakness. He says, I'm giving it to her now. You know, it's like those people who give charity in case they win the lottery. It's much easier to give money that you don't have. One time they had a campaign charity, big billion dollar jackpot for one organization. They went around the country and they took from any person who was going to win. So they asked him, if you win a billion dollars, how much would you give us? People were donating, forget about it. Guy gave him a hundred million, one gave him fifty million, one gave thirty million. They all, people were giving money out like crazy in case they win. It was the biggest collection in history. Mm -hmm. 
So the obvious question in that collection is, what are they wasting their time with the guys that might win? Why don't you just wait to go to the guy who wins and just ask him then when he wins? Much easier. The answer is that when you win, you don't want to give anymore. Now it's your money. Before he knows that she's the right girl, it's easier for him to give her the jewelry. You know what? It may not be the right girl anyway, so let me give it to her. He's afraid that if she's the right girl, it might be too hard for him. He realizes his struggles. So he goes ahead. He's thinking. He's not. He's working on himself. He's breaking his character. He's not sitting back and waiting for things to happen. He's involved. He knows his weakness. That's a beautiful thing to know your weakness. And to set yourself up that you shouldn't fail. He gives her the bracelets. Now he goes to eat. Again, he's scared. Dinner, he gets comfortable. Who knows what he's going to say. He's afraid every passing minute is a minute that will get him to mess up. He's, I'm sorry, I cannot eat. I have to say my piece. Struggling, says it. They accept. Same story. He's, I'm sorry, I can't wait. He knows his struggles. And he's trying to win and beat it. Now we understand what Hazal is telling us. A man who's working on his character, it's worth to give him pages of real estate in the Torah. Pages of real estate on an Eved who's working on his flaw. At the end of the day, Abraham owes him nothing. But we can't, we don't think like that. But he has to work on it. It's two pages of a person working on his character flaw. That's what Hashem loves. Hashem says, I love that. That story, I love. I love Shabbat too. But that one gets one line. I love that one more. Now we understand where the grass is coming from. Lama lo haim. You're not working to fix your character. You're not in the right place. You're not understanding priorities in life. This explains a statement, a very famous statement. It says Hashem created a Yetzirah Barati Yetzirah Barati lo Torah Tevalin And Hashem says I created for the Yetzirah The Torah And the Torah will be The uh, spice Or will be the medicine For the Yetzirah Is that really what the Torah is all Isn't the Torah mitzvot Isn't the Torah Shabbat Isn't the Torah Torah is only To Fight the Yetzirah? The answer is, that's the main purpose of life, yes. The main purpose of life is to change our character, and the Torah is what's going to help us get there. That is the main purpose of the Torah. The Rambam says this outright. The Rambam writes, Rov Dine HaTorah The majority of the laws of the Torah 
enan ela etzot merahok. It's only advice from far from the great Bala Etzah Hashem. Letaken hadeot ul yasher kol amasim. It's to fix our flaws. That is the Torah. Torah is meant to fix our flaws. Has many ways of doing it. But that's the purpose. There's a famous story that happened by Moshe Rabbeinu on Har Sinai. It says over there, you want it? It's a little hot here, huh? When we ask the guy to. Not just me, right? Anyway, famous story, Masechet Shabbat, that says that Moshe Rabbeinu was getting the Torah from Hashem. He came to get the Torah. The angels say to Hashem, what is this human doing here? This Torah that you have for hundreds of generations, before the world was created, this precious, beautiful Torah, you're going to give it? To a human? Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, answer them. You want it? You have to answer them. Shows me, show me how much you want it. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem like this, arguing with the angels. I'm not going to go through the whole Gemara. But he says, let me, let me ask you, he says to them. He says, what do you need the Torah for? You're angels. You have a desire to murder? It says in the Torah, don't murder. You don't have a desire for that. Lotignov, don't kidnap, lotinaf. Kin ayesh benechem. Tell me, you angels, you get jealous? You don't get jealous. You have a Yetzirah? And what happened? Basically, Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, look at the Torah, it's not for you. The mitzvot in the Torah are not for you. So Gemara says, when they heard that, the angels, Hodu, they admitted, Hashem, give it to him. It's an interesting conversation. What's the back and forth? The angels didn't know before Moshe Rabbeinu showed them. What was the mahloket here? So I'm going to tell you a beautiful explanation to this Gemara that's relevant to our subject. The angels thought that the purpose of the Torah is the Torah itself, the Kiddushah of the Torah. And all those commandments is just a way to get to the Torah. But the main purpose is the Torah. So if a person doesn't have jealousy, even better. If you don't have a Yetzirah, even better. The main purpose is the Torah and the mitzvot. So of course they don't have those things. But they're saying to themselves, yeah, if we don't have those things, we can even do it better than you. Moshe Rabbeinu told them, no, you got it all wrong. Because the Torah and the mitzvot is only for those things. The whole purpose of the Torah is to fix 
those characteristics. So that doesn't apply to you because you don't have any faults. They didn't see it that way. Basically, they thought like we thought. The Torah is all about mitzvot. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, no, the mitzvot is all about character. Yes, you have to keep every mitzvah. You have to learn Torah, of course. But what's the overall purpose? What's the end goal? And if you don't get there, you miss the boat. If you didn't fix your character flaws, it means all the vehicles that Hashem gave you to get somewhere, you never got to the place. Imagine someone gave you a car and gave you the keys and gave you direction and gave you everything to get to the place. You have it all. Everything that you need, you have. But you just don't get to where you're supposed to get. The mitzvot and the Torah are vehicles to get a person to refine their character in every way. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, you don't have that issue. So therefore the Torah can't be for you. Torah can't be a vehicle for people who don't have issues. There was a great rabbi who lived in Boston. He uh, was very, very clever and very sharp and was able to deal with college students who were very far from religion. And he brought so many thousands of people close to the Torah mitzvot over the years. And in one of his stories, he writes that he met this young lady in college. And when he was talking to her, he asked her, so what do you do? So she told him, I'm a sculptor. I make sculptures. So the rabbi said, well, what's a sculptor? What does that mean? He made like he didn't know what that is. So she looked at him like a little bit like, okay, he's a rabbi, so he's off. He's an old sculptor. Like, like what, what do you do? What does that mean? She said, well, I take a, a picture of something, either a face or a body, and then I take a, a, a rock, a stone, and I start to chisel all different angles, all different pieces until I get the face exactly the way it is. And then sometimes I see it's a little over, I take another piece, another crack at it. Until in the end, I make a perfect face. And if I have enough room, I can even make a body. The rabbi says, I can't believe it. That's what you do? He says, that's what I do all day long. He says, rabbi, you're a sculptor? He said, of course. He says, all day long, that's what we do. What we're supposed to do. It's to take our neshama, take our character, take our midot, and keep chiseling. And every day, make that picture more beautiful. Make it more like an image of God. That is the mission of life. And he told this young lady, why don't you try being a sculptor in my area? See how that works. She said, no, I never knew that's what you people do. 
and she actually started to become more observant. But that's the reality of life. We're here to be sculptors of our souls and fix our flaws. Rashi says it beautifully in Iyov. Ve'ayir pere adam yivaled. Says Rashi, Allah shalom. Ayir pere is a wild donkey. I'm not sure if you've seen a donkey. But this is not a donkey. This is a wild donkey. Says the great Iyov that an Adam, a human being, is a wild donkey. Not a donkey. You call a hamor. Someone, you ever call someone a hamor? Yeah. That's a compliment compared to this. He's not a hamor, this guy. He's a wild hamor. Who is a wild hamor? Who? Your one-year-old. Look at one-year-old today when you get home. Look at him and say, you are a wild hamor. And that's not an exaggeration. Don't, don't, okay, don't say it out loud then. But that's the truth. Look at, look at your teenager. He's a wild hamor. Ayir pere Adam. And Adam is a wild person. His flaws are all over the place. He's constantly angry. Constantly. You don't have to say anything. Go to your teenager and say good morning. Angry. Move the shoes to the other side of the closet. Wait, my shoes! Relax. That's normal? That a person should walk around all day angry and jumping at any, anything that doesn't go their way? Annoyed? Hatred? Jealousy? How many things are constantly with us? It's not a pretty picture if we had a spiritual x-ray machine. You would see a lot of flaws going inside of us. Again, on the outside, we look great. We buy something nice to wear, and nobody could see anything. Oh, they say, wow, look at it. Everything is perfect there. What perfect? Go inside the x-ray machine, you'll see disaster. You see nehashim ve'akrabim. You see all types of things going on. Says Rashi, alava shalom. The purpose of our existence is that this wild donkey that's sitting in your seat, that guy needs to become reborn. Hashem made us with flaws in order to fix them. That's the purpose of life. You're going to need a lot of help. You're going to need a lot of Shabbat. You're going to need a lot of Torah. You can eat a lot of mitzvot. You can eat a lot of a lot of a lot of many things in order to be able to fix the flaws. They're not going to be fixed so easily. That's why. By the way, by the Aaron, the Aaron represents the Torah. The Aaron is the box where they put the luchot, the tablets, and the sefer Torah. Over there, the Torah says, how do you make this Aaron? How do you make this box? Says the Torah, you make it out of wood. Amataim vahetzi orko. 
has to be two and a half amot, its length. Amma vahetzi, one and a half should be its width. Ve amma vahetzi, and one and a half its height. So it's two and a half by one and a half by one and a half. Hazal say it's not an accident that they all have a half. Why can't you just make it three by four? What's the half? Why everything has to have a half? So Hazal teaches because Torah can only be appreciated, can only be a success if the Aaron is a broken Aaron. A guy who breaks his faulty character. That's why it's called one and a half, two and a half. If you're a person who isn't breaking the neshama that God gave you, if you're not fixing it, so you're not going to be able to house the Torah. You need the Torah will help you become better, but you have to want that as well. Torah compares a human to an etz, we are considered like a tree of the field. Question is, why do they mention the field? Just say, Adam is like a tree. A tree grows. Why do we have to say he's like the tree of the field? Why is the field even playing a role in our description of a human being? And the answer is because while there is a tree that grows, the field around it, if you don't take care of it, it's going to also grow. But only things that are not good. It's going to grow thorns. It's going to grow weeds. A human being, the tree called a human being, if he's not going to take care of his character, they're going to grow a lot of terrible things. He's Aetz Hasadeh. On one hand, he's a tree that's supposed to rise in Torah and mitzvot. But he's also a field. If he's not taking care of his flaws, he's going to have to deal with all the terrible things that come out of it. We see the greatest people in our history suffered. Never should it surprise you, never, that a great person, how could he do that? It's a great person. You think we have today people in the level of Korah? You know, Korah was, an, was a giant in Torah. Korah was one of the greatest Jews that ever lived. But how did he end up in such a horrible place? He became the emblem of evil. He was a rasha. He started to speak such horrible words against Moshe Rabbeinu. How can a great person of Torah and mitzvot, can a respected great person become such a low personality? Answer is yes. What does it have to do with? He does Torah, he does mitzvot. His midot, his ga'ava, his arrogance. He couldn't beat his arrogance. He couldn't see people who he thought should be below him. He couldn't see them above him. We know what that feels like. He couldn't deal with it. And that ga'ava took his etz. He was an etz. He was a tree. He was clearly a tree in the human, in the Jewish nation. In fact, Hazal said, Tzadik katamar yifrah, a great person grows like a day tree. Tzadik katamar yifrah, the last letter of 
Tzadik is Kuf. Tamar is Resh. Yifrah is Het. That's Korah. He was a tree. He was a man that if you looked at him, you'd say, My goodness, the Torah, the mitzvot, he's awesome. How did he end up as one of the people has not Olam Abba? How? How could that be? How could this tree that's so high not be from one of the great people in our history? Answer is, he forgot to take care of his sadeh. He was just growing his tree. He's doing mitzvot, he's doing a lot of great things, which of course, again, don't walk out of here thinking mitzvot are any less. There's no way to break the character without a, the mitzvot. But it's also not only about Torah and mitzvot. You have to be mindful of your flaws. Here is a man like Korah, raising himself, raising to the top. Anyone who would see Korah would say, he's a gadol. You think it's by accident? that Who joined him? 250 of the highest level heads of Sanhedrin in Am Yisrael in the desert joined him. You think you can get those people to join somebody who's off? He was someone respected. If you saw Korah, you would be wowed by him. They were willing to be with him even against Moshe Rabenu. They were willing to go to battle even if it was the price of death. They went into a battle. Whoever would lose would die. And they, they died. But what's going on? How would someone... We, we, we read these stories and say, come on, I wish we read it every year and we say, they made the mistake again. They made it last year. They made it again. Every time we read it, we say, how did they make this mistake? If I was there, if I would have been there, so easy. Korah and Moshe. So obvious. Not so obvious. You never saw Korah. Korah was a giant tree. Only issue was, he didn't tend to his sadeh. He let his, he wasn't like Eliezer. He wasn't working. It's okay to have flaws. But it's not okay to not do what we can to eradicate the flaws. Eliezer had that quality. Korah left his sadeh to grow wild. And wild he became. Him and all the people that followed him. It's a, by the way, it's a recurring theme through history and through the Torah. You see such, such great people. The Miraglim. Who can find greater than that? Hashem chose them. The Pasuk says, Kulam Anashim. They were all great people. Rashi says they were great from the greatest people. And by the way, Yehoshua Binun, who was one of the spies, was not from the greatest one. They were greater than him that went. They didn't send some amateurs there. They didn't send some young people from high school. They sent the greatest 12 men they could find to go on this mission. How could it be that 10 of them messed up so horrible? How? They chose the greatest trees in our nation. The Zohar says, because they were thinking, when we go to Eretz Yisrael, What's going to be with our position? We could understand them. A person has a position with his friends, in his yeshiva, in the shul, in the community. 
And now it's risky. We've seen that. We've seen teachers nervous to lose their job. We've seen principals nervous to become to be demoted. We've seen presidents scared of losing and flying all around the country for a year just to get the votes. You think a person is 80 years old, what do you have to go fly around the country to get people to vote for you? Go relax, go to Florida, take it easy. <laughs> Let somebody else work. But you can't, you can't, it's hard. When you're in power and you can get more of it, it's not so easy to say, eh, it doesn't matter, let me go relax. It's not like that, it's intoxicating. It's like telling a drug addict, don't take drugs anymore. It's right, but it doesn't feel right for him. He can't, he needs it. The Miraglim were intoxicated with leadership. They had everything under their hands right now. In the desert, it was nice. Everybody was close by. They had full control. Now they're going to go to Eretz Israel. People are going to go to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. Where is going to be their leadership ability that everybody should follow them. They were worried about that. They were worried about their honor, their kavod. There we go. Another tree. Twelve, ten of them. Ten trees. By the way, not ten, twelve. There were twelve trees that had a field that was growing some very bad, bad thorns. Two of them were very, very concerned about their field. You see, the difference between Yoshua and Caleb wasn't that their field was awesome. It was that they knew that they had some issues in their field. Caleb actually went to pray by Me'arata Machpelah. He was so nervous about his field making an impression on his decisions. They, they had struggles. These were not angels. These were human beings struggling. Yoshua, Moshe had to pray for him. Yoshua, I, I know you're going to struggle. It's not going to be easy for you. Let me pray for you. I'm changing your name to remember my tefillah for you. Ten men out of twelve didn't bother cutting their field. That's what happened by the Meraglim. They were great trees that forgot about the field. And when you forget about your field, it will bring down you and your tree. And this is a, a recurring theme throughout history. Doeg Ha'adomi. Doeg Ha'adomi was one of the greatest men that ever lived. He's one of the people that has no helek le'olam haba. What? Great giant? Yes. He let the field grow without cutting it. Yerov'am ben Nevat, a man who was chosen by God to be the king of Am Yisrael. That's how great this man was. God himself said, I'm choosing you. He lost helek le'olam haba. Call Yisrael, yesh la'im helek le'olam haba. We all have a helek in olam haba, not Yerov'am ben Nevat. Yerov'am ben Nevat knew more Torah than I'll ever know. Had more mitzvot. He was a giant tree. What happened? He forgot the field. A human is etz as sadeh. There's the etz, the etz that grows, 
and there's a sadeh that needs to be cut. You gotta mow that lawn. And you gotta be struggling constantly to get rid of all of these imperfections that if you don't get rid of them, and especially if you're big, they will come back to destroy you. The bigger you are, the bigger your tree, the more the sadeh that's not mowed, that's not cut, is gonna destroy. I can tell you through history how many personalities, but I think you got the, the point. The Gemara says in Masechet Shabbat, Amar Rabbi Yohanan, Kol Talmid Hacham, any scholar, any tree, Shenimtsa Revav Al Bigdo, that has a stain on his clothing. You see a Talmid Hacham? He has a stain on his clothing. Hayav Mita. He's Hayav Mita. He should, he's liable for death penalty. They don't actually kill him, but that's how he should look at it. Why? Because it's a Hilul Hashem. You're supposed to represent something beautiful. People look up to you and you walk around with dirty clothes. Where's the respect you have for yourself? And people will look at you in a negative way. You're Mehalil Shem Shamayim. When a Jew, by the way, you don't have to be a big time Mehacham for this. When you're a Jew that represents our nation and you don't behave right, it's a Hilul Hashem. Says the Me'iri, what does it mean you have a stain on your shirt? Says the Me'iri, Hen bemalbushav, it could be on your clothing. Hen bemidotav, or your character. If you are a Talmid Hacham and you talk with anger, that's a Hilul Hashem. If you're talking with jealousy, it's a Hilul Hashem. If you're struggling with it, it's good. But if you're not taking care of it and letting it grow, it's a terrible destruction of even the great person. I will finish off with the following words. There is a very bright spot to this class. Not that anything was not so bright. But we're talking about mowing lawns. I mean, we're talking about struggling with imperfections. We're talking about trees that fell. But there's one very beautiful bright spot in this class. And I'd like to first say it from the words of the great Hazanish. The Hazanish is as follows. He says again, he repeats the same class that we just had. Aikar hiyut ha'adam shevirat hamidot. The main purpose of our life, the end goal, is breaking our character. I just want to be clear again. Breaking our character means that we should never be angry, ever. Not outside, not inside. That we should never be nervous, ever. That we should never, ever be jealous. That we should never compete. And much more. Probably someone listening is saying, well, that's really impossible. You know that, right? It's not impossible. That's the purpose of life. But yes, you got to get, you got to work on it. You can't allow things to distract you from this. It's avodah. Today we didn't learn how to work on it. We'll do that next week. But it's got to take center 
stage in your life. The next time you're nervous, realize that's a problem. That's my field running wild. The next time you're angry, recognize it's a problem. Not necessarily have the solution, but you first have to diagnose. You got problems. I'm saying you, me, I'm talking to myself. I have a mirror looking at me. I have problems. Every, and by the way, every time you fall, Sheva Yipol Tzadik Vakam, the great person, every time they fall to either a desire or they fall to an imperfection, every time they fall, they use it to get up because it makes them realize what they need to fix. You see, in life, sometimes you can walk around thinking everything is perfect until something happens and you act in such a horrible way or react in such a horrible way. And then you say, oh, I'm usually not like that. That's how people usually react. Usually I don't get angry. You know, most people think they don't usually get angry. One guy told me, I never get angry, only when people upset me. <laughs> this is, I, I, I mean that, I, I, I'm not making that up. It's exactly the words. Because I said, you're an angry person. No, no, I don't get angry. Only people upset me. I said, Hamor, that's the only time. That's how we measure anger. We don't measure anger while you're sleeping. We don't measure anger. We measure anger at the times when people annoy you. That's what it is. But we actually think that, that when we fall, we take it as the exception. Like we're very good people. This is just one of the exceptions. That's how we look at it. But great people, when they fall, it's, oh wow, I didn't realize, I gotta fix this. This is a problem. Take a notepad with you, write down some things. When you can't control yourself, you can't control your desire, it's a problem. Desires aren't bad, but if they control you, you're dead. You're gonna ruin your life. Why? Because you can't control yourself. Every single destructive character needs to be called out. Just like when you see a kid in class and he's doing something really bad, you gotta call him out. Otherwise, he's gonna continue like this. Your son is doing something terrible in your house. You gotta call him out. Because the biggest and worst danger is that he doesn't even realize he's doing something destructive. A person could literally live their life looking at themselves, growing like a tree, saying to themselves, listen, I learn every day. I learn Torah, I do mitzvot, I pray, I give chesed, I do, I, I'm a good mother. I'm a, how many things could you tell me about your life? Why you're a tree that's growing beautifully? But you should know there's a danger in that. Danger is you're forgetting the sadeh. How do you remember the sadeh? Every time something negative happens in you, it should be noted that it needs to be fixed. It's not the norm. It's who you are, but it needs to be changed. We're capable of doing that. Says the Hazonif, listen to these words. Such beautiful words. He says, Zehu, he said, and when you start mowing your lawn, when you start fixing the flaws that we all have, what happens? He says, Zehu ha'oneg 
Oneg is pleasure. Arev, Hayoter Arev, it is the most sweet. Veyoter Naim, and the most pleasant. To do what? He's saying the most pleasant, sweet pleasure in life is to be able to control your wild donkey. It's a great pleasure of life. You know what pleasure that is? Let me tell you. Let me tell you where the fake pleasure of this one is. Every real pleasure has a fake one. And usually people spend their whole life in the fake one. Because usually the fake one is easiest. Every real pleasure has fake. Like love is a great pleasure. Fake, lust, not real. Lust means you love yourself. Love means I love you. It almost feels the same, but it's not, nothing to do with each other. When people are dating, there's no love. Maybe there's lust. Lust doesn't build marriages. If you think that lust is really love, you're dead. In your marriage. So every real pleasure in life has one like it, but fake. It has to be that way, otherwise no free choice. One of the highest pleasures in life is the pleasure of power. Power is a very, very, very intoxicating pleasure that we all, all enjoy and want. There's all different types of power. I just mentioned the President of the United States. Think about how difficult of a life it is to be the President of the United States. You can't go in the street. You can't go out to eat. You have no private life. Every day, newspapers are cursing you out. They come out, they're checking what you do every single day for the last 80 years. Imagine I revealed all your past in the newspapers. Every day you come out a new story. Oh, when she was 38, you know what she did. With all the pressures and all. Who needs the headache? You would think it's like a punishment to be a president. And now you're going around the country and you're pleading with people to vote for you. Please, could you vote for me to be your president? Please, please, please. Who would do that? You gotta be nuts to do that. Answer is, it's the pleasure of power. The pleasure of power is worth it. I'm, I mean, I have the, the button of the atom bomb. What do you mean? I could destroy the world. I hope not to destroy it, but I could do it. Power is so intoxicating. And it's not just president, it's governor of a state, wow, big. It's a mayor of a city. Even a guy in a city council, he has like three blocks that listen to him. You see in the city council, he goes from Avenue S to Avenue V, from East 3rd to East 5th, that's it. 
And he's going crazy. Get vote for me, please. I, he feels very powerful. You have a shul with 10 people. One guy's the president. He feels like he gives that to Aliyot. He's the guy. It's unbelievable. Look around the shuls. When you see, you'll see. You'll see the people. I'm not saying anyone who does things for people is automatically looking for power. But certainly it's something that is there. So, ah, I tell people where to sit. I tell people where to go. I tell people when to stop. I tell people, by the way, rabbis, I'm the guy. Oh, you, you can't do that. I'm the rabbi. I feel very powerful. Teacher in a classroom feels power. A father and mother in the house feels power. It's one of the biggest issues in parenting is when parents use their position to fill their void of power. You can have a, a man who works in a warehouse, has 85 bosses on top of him, but he comes home and he's the president. He's the boss. And he needs to show that he's the boss. Power is something that we all enjoy tremendously and we want more of it. But all the power I just mentioned is all fake. That's all fake power. It's showing power over others. The real power, authentic power, is when you have power over yourself. How many people you know in history, in today's world even, that have so much power, they could press their finger in the atom bomb and destroy the world, but they can't control one minute of their desire. How many world leaders have so many issues within themselves, they can't control their anger, they can't control their jealousy, they can't control so many things, but they can control the world. It's, all, it's a fake. We spend our lives trying to be powerful. We have a desire to be powerful. The purpose of that desire is to be powerful over ourselves. That we lead, we're not led by the animal in us. But that's much harder than just being a president over somebody else. Telling people what to do makes me feel great and I don't have to do anything. It's fake, it's not real. Real power. That's what the Hazanish means. It's one of the great pleasures in life. When a person starts to change their flaws. First of all, you feel like you're the owner of your life. You feel like you're a balabite. Instead of being led your whole life, I don't know, I just get nervous. Well, you don't know. Stop saying you don't know. You know you're being nervous because that's you have a you have a flaw. You gotta fix it. I don't know, I just get angry all the time. You have to know it's a problem. When a person doesn't fix their flaws, they feel almost as if they're led by something that's not in their control. A person who starts to mow the lawn is a person who takes their life back and says, I rule here. I decide when to talk. I decide when to act. I don't let my desires tell me when. I tell my desires when. 
I speak when it's right. I don't let my mouth run. I don't get angry. I show anger when it's right. I control my jealousy. I, that's my power. That's awesome. That's what the Hazani is saying. Hayyoter arev. What a life. You see a person who has control over their life. You're looking at a person who is in Gan Eden. He's living a sweet and beautiful life. That's my beracha to all of you. That we should be aware. I'll leave you off with a less cute story about a, about a deer. I don't know if you heard of this deer. There's a deer in the forest. He had these long, long horns. He's riding through the forest. All of a sudden, his horns get stuck in the trees. This deer had it with the, with the forest. Every time he goes, he gets stuck. Does he know something? I'm going to get rid of this forest once and for all. And he starts to kick and move every part of his body. He's breaking a tree. He's breaking a branch. He's taking down the whole forest. Wise man's walking by. He sees this deer. What are you doing? That's it. I'm tired of this forest. It's driving me crazy. Every time I walk in here, I get stuck somewhere. So I'm taking down the forest. So he told him, listen, let's give you a little advice. The forest is way too big for you. You're never taking it down. But there's something much easier. Just cut your horns. If you cut your horns, you won't get stuck in the forest. So, ah, wow, genius. And that's, I'm sorry if it's just a silly story, but if that wasn't every one of us, I wouldn't have said it. Our whole life we're walking around the forest, the jungle out there, and we, and we get stuck everywhere. We get stuck in this relationship, we get stuck in that house, we get stuck in that problem. We're stuck everywhere. And every day we come home and say, that's it, I'm done with this. I'm going to move, I'm going to destroy that person. I'm gonna... We have all kinds of solutions we're going to do, we're going to do. How many times have you decided, that's it? What, what did that say? mean? Nothing, zero. It meant nothing. <laughs> but somehow you felt that it meant something. I'm going to take the forest down. I'm going to take you down. You don't mess with me. All stupid words. Our whole life we spend trying to take down the forest, where in reality all we have to do is cut the horns. Just mow the lawn. Just take care of yourself. You'll be fine. You will never get stuck anywhere. Everywhere you're getting stuck is because you have the horns. That's why you're getting stuck. This is something to live with, something to cherish, something to continuously remember as we grow our tree. Our tree has to grow, but the tree has to grow with the field being cut, and that is the great pleasure of our existence. Have a beautiful day.